1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good
2: afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is producing Dave King Engineering today's program. In the first hour of today's program, I want to rebroadcast a conversation I had with Pastor Mark Strong. He's the host of the program here on KPDQ Life Change uh radio and wanted to give you an opportunity to get to know him if you haven't heard the program and for those of you who are familiar uh to let you know that um they need some help in keeping the program on the air. They've been here for many years, more than a decade, and we would love to uh continue to have them be part of the KPDQ family. And so we'll have an opportunity to introduce him or reintroduce Pastor uh Strong uh, later this hour in the program, we'll also wind our way through some of the day's news, a lot going on. So we'll get to as much of it as we possibly can. Well, after months of buildup and speculation, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has filed paperwork to run for president of the United States. And as of our time, he has already begun his uh, conversation on Twitter Uh Making that announcement, his first national TV interview following the announcement uh, will be tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 o'clock our time. And even though he's been on the 2024 sidelines, Governor DeSantis for months has been in the top tier of Republican nomination contenders behind former President Donald Trump and ahead of the rest of the field of actual and likely candidates in nearly every GOP primary poll. The announcement by DeSantis coincides with his meeting with the um, uh, this week in Miami with top financial backers. So that will be official and uh, essentially is official as of our time. Well, Oregon Senate uh, Republicans on Tuesday declared that they're willing to return to the floor of the legislature to pass bipartisan legislation and budget bills on June 25th, which happens to be the final day of the session. Now, this is at some great cost, given the legis- the uh, the law that was passed by Oregonians I believe it was last year. Senators continue to participate in the GOP walkout on Tuesday, boycotting the floor session for the 15th day and preventing the Senate from reaching the two-thirds quorum needed to conduct business. Dozens of bills hang in the balance as the walkout persists, jeopardizing not just future state budgets, but efforts to build a veteran's home in Roseburg, help homeless schoolchildren and make housing more available. But they're trying to make a point in the latest effort to gain public support. Democrats sent out a release on Wednesday with a list of stalled education bills. They include proposals that would provide electronic notification to parents during emergencies, help students who face sexual harassment and put one hundred and forty million dollars into literacy programs. One of Governor Kotech's priorities. Lawmakers uh, want the impasse to end before the last day of the session. Senate President Rob Wagner from Lake Oswego on Tuesday told reporters the absentee senators need to return to debate and vote on all the bills. Well, as you might recall, there's some question about whether or not the uh, legislature is outside of the um Constitution. Senate Minority Leader Tim Knope out of Bend said Republicans are willing to return the final day of the session to address the issues most important to Oregonians. Homelessness, affordable housing, public safety, cost of living, job creation and fully funded education. We're not interested in facilitating an agenda that is unlawful, uncompromising and unconstitutional, he said in a statement. This has not changed. Well, uh, Republicans object to a few bills they want killed. Um, These include House Bill 2002. We've talked about it here on the program. It should be um, uh, killed. A bill expanding abortion rights and access to transgender health care, which means procedures that change one's biology, I should say. And House Bill 2005, which deals with firearms and raises minimum age for most gun purchases from 18 to 21 and allows local agencies to ban firearms and government-owned property. Um, the Canope statement came out uh, as uh, Wagner was on the Senate floor. We're here to do the people's work, Wagner told reporters afterwards. All the bills should be considered. Uh, well, the standoff apparently will continue through the end of the legislative session, disqualifying uh, those Republican lawmakers from running for reelection. But they're making a point and standing on what they have identified as principle. Well, it is pretty bad, isn't it? The city of Portland and the state of Oregon are really in crisis at this time. And John Mellencamp has nailed it with a couple of these uh, lines from a song that he's written about Portland. The singer-songwriter released The Eyes of Portland, which highlights the city's drastic uptick in homelessness and echoes the concerns of many residents In Oregon, we only have about four million plus people. In the last six or seven years, we've committed about four billion dollars to the crisis. And yet Portland's mayor freely admits that the problem is 50 percent worse, not better. Criminals are taking advantage of A.I. technology, artificial intelligence to conduct misinformation campaigns, commit fraud and obstruct justice through deep fake audio and video. Australia's eSafe Commission has raised concerns about the potential for artificial intelligence to assist predators in grooming children online as the country debates restrictions on the emergency or rather the emerging technology. Australian eSafe Commissioner Julie Inman Grant posted on Twitter that the manipulative power of generative AI to execute on grooming and sextortation is no longer speculative. E-Safety is already receiving cyberbullying reports and image-based abuse reports around deep fakes, she wrote. The fact is, AI has been exfiltrated into the wild without guardrails. Liberty Council has filed a petition for a writ of Sarah Sertoria, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I apologize to every attorney listening, asking the U.S. Supreme Court to review the previous ruling by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals against Sandra Merritt in Planned Parenthood's multimillion dollar civil lawsuit for her undercover investigation of the abortion giant. The implications of this case have far reaching First Amendment consequences involving free speech and other undercover journalism in the petition. Uh, for writ, uh Liberty Council asked the high court to consider whether the First Amendment's free speech clause protects news gathering journalists who operate under an alias to document and expose what they reasonably believe to be unlawful conduct from being subjugated to punitive liability for fraud. This case concerns whether and to what extent the press may raise the First Amendment as a defense against generally applicable tort law when undercover journalists gather and publish truthful news of significant public importance. Accordingly, the Fifth Amendment not only protects the publication of news it also protects the news gathering process, including undercover investigations, because without some protection for seeking out the news, freedom of the press could be eviscerated. We'll follow the story and let you know if the Supreme Court decides to take up the case. You're listening to the
1: Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, the KPDQ Pastors Masters is back for 2023. We invite uh, area pastors and ministry leaders to join us for a day of golf and fellowship at the KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Tournament presented by Adventist Health Portland. Monday, July 17th at the beautiful Langdon Farms Golf Club in Aurora, just south of Wilsonville. The 18-hole golf scramble starts at 8 a.m., and is followed by a delicious buffet lunch. The cost to attend is just $25, and the first 50 pastors to register will receive a collector's item, the Pastor's Master's Ball Cap. You can register today at kpdq.com. Well, Senator John Fetterman is facing scrutiny after he claimed last week the whole reason for the 14th Amendment, best known for its extension of citizenship to former slaves and guaranteeing equal protection of the laws, was to assist with debt negotiations. Well, Fetterman's comments came as he pushed for President Biden to use the 14th Amendment to avoid a default on the nation's debt, a move that legal experts have repeatedly said, including Janet Yellen, would be unlikely to withstand judicial scrutiny. The entire GOP debt ceiling negotiation is a sad charade, and it's exactly what's wrong with Washington. We're playing with fire and the livelihoods of millions. Uh, That's what uh, Fetterman had to say in a tweet. This is the uh, whole reason why the 14th Amendment exists, and we need to be prepared to use it. We cannot let this reckless Republicans uh, hold the economy hostage. Well, ratified in 1868, three years after the conclusion of the Civil War, the 14th Amendment, considered by both scholars and ordinary Americans to be One of the most consequential assurances of civil liberties in U.S. history encoded citizenship and due process for former slaves, of which I am a descendant, and is notably remembered, lauded, discussed, and debated today for its landmark Equal Protection Clause. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. That's section one of the amendment. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, despite the main reasoning behind the 14th Amendment, the modification to the Constitution also features a section On public debt. And that's what Fetterman and others are referring to. The 14th Amendment reads The validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellions, shall not be questioned. Well, Fetterman's remarks drew immediate backlash with multiple social media users taking aim at the junior senator for failing to recognize that the 14th Amendment has greater significance. How about this? We will take you seriously as a constitutional scholar when you stop dressing like an 11 year old at the state park. Former Trump adviser Stephen Miller wrote in a tweet he hosted a press conference a day or two ago wearing shorts and a T-shirt flanked by his fellow senators, U.S. senators, members of Congress, of course, wearing their suits. Well, the 14th Amendment was not ratified to grant citizenship to former slaves and freed blacks and provide all citizens with equal protection under the law, but actually was ratified solely to give the president the power to spend money in violation of federal law. It's quite a take, says Jonathan Ingram of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Well, The 14th Amendment was the second of three Reconstruction-era amendments adopted in rapid succession after the Civil War, as the United States rushed to encode the liberties secured at the, the horrific cost of human carnage during that conflict. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 15th Amendment secured the right to vote regardless of race, color or previous condition of servitude, though only for men at that time and not for all men as it was applied. Well, despite Fetterman urging the president to use the amendment amid debt negotiations, experts who spoke on the subject earlier this month cast doubt on the viability of the president invoking the 14th Amendment to the Constitution to raise the federal borrowing limit. The plain reading of Section 4 is that it has absolutely nothing to do with the debt limit. Existing debts cannot be questioned, but raising the debt ceiling is for the purpose of creating new debts. Note: nothing in Section 4 says Congress must create new debt to service older debt. A failure to raise the debt ceiling is no way questions or rather in no way questions the validity of existing debts. An associate professor of law from Arizona State University makes plain Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told ABC News this week that invoking the amendment, an idea the White House has distanced itself from, would cause a constitutional crisis. And yet, the call continues to be made. Well, some of the uh, misinformation surrounding all of this are claims being made about uh, the debate, if there is, in fact, An earnest debate following a number of rounds of discussions between House Republican officials and the Biden administration. The two sides still haven't reached an agreement on increasing the federal debt limit. We know where the lines are drawn and whose um, side each party is on. But led by uh, President uh, Biden and his party, they've deployed at least seven false, misleading or nonsensical claims over the past few weeks to pressure McCarthy into giving in, and I wanted to, if time permits, addressed at least a few of them, Republicans won't negotiate and will make America uh, hit the debt ceiling. Well, this is the most common rhetorical tactic, essentially contending that if it weren't for Republicans, there wouldn't be a problem. However, that ignores the fact that the House passed the limit, save, grow, act. Uh, which would immediately increase the debt limit, but with, uh, with accompanying restrictions on spending. So that's not entirely true. Rather than start bipartisan negotiations, as soon as the Limit Save Grow Act passed, Democrats um, twiddled their thumbs for a week, and the Democrat-controlled Senate has not taken any meaningful action whatsoever. Another claim, Biden can raise the debt ceiling unilaterally because of the provision of the 14th Amendment. You've already addressed that one. Republicans gave President Donald Trump clean debt limit increases and should do the same for Biden. What Democrats want is a debt limit increase without any other policy provisions including it included in the legislation, or a clean increase. They claim that that's how Republicans handled the issue during the previous administration. However, all three of the debt limit increases under the previous president were directly linked to spending actions. And while these deals were heavily flawed, they were still subject to bipartisan negotiations. There are also several instances of bipartisan deals to pair deficit reduction measures with debt limit increases. In fact, during his time in the Senate, Biden voted for three of them. It is um, unfortunate that Congress hasn't uh, been consistent on uh, always linking deficit reduction and debt limit. However, that doesn't mean House Republicans are out of line in doing so again today. Another claim is that we should save one trillion dollars by freezing 2024 appropriated defense and non-defense spending at 2023 levels. Well, an offer that Democrats um Made But Republicans rejected would have kept so-called discretionary spending at fiscal year 2023 levels until 24, rather than the typical practice of increased spending. Now, the claim is that this would uh, cause a ripple effect on future years and save a trillion dollars. However, there are two major flaws with that line of thinking. First, Washington used the pandemic as an excuse to go on an epic spending spree, and that extra spending went almost entirely toward non-defense purposes. The idea that there should be an equal reduction to defense and non-defense spending is, uh, in response to the spending spree is absurd, given the... uh Money spent non-defense. Second, a one-year spending freeze would have no binding effects on what Congress would approve for future years. Democrats are leery of long-term spending caps, but that would be the only way to reach the promised $1 trillion in savings. In contrast, the Limit, Save, Grow Act would impose caps for a full decade. Another claim, Biden reduced deficits by one point seven trillion dollars. Well, Biden has made his claim so often that The Washington Post issued a bottomless Pinocchio rating. The deficit shrank as a result of pandemic related spending coming to an end. In contrast, the president's uh, choices have increased short and near term deficits by more than six trillion dollars, which is essentially uh, bad at a time of high inflation and rising interest rates. Another is we should focus on raising taxes. There are several variations on this assertion, including an offer from the administration that focuses on trillions in tax hikes and that the 2017 tax cuts were a handout to the wealthy. Well, On the first point, the simple fact is that tax collections are currently at record levels in absolute terms and are well above historical averages as a share of the economy. We have a spending problem, not a revenue problem. Unless elected officials get spending under control, the middle class will ultimately pay the price, despite Washington's rhetoric. On the second point, the 2017 tax cut provided savings to 80 percent of households and were followed by strong real wage gains from the bottom 50 percent due to strong economic growth. In contrast, poor households are losing ground under the current administration due to punishingly high inflation. Raising taxes on businesses won't help matters since those taxes would simply be felt through lower wages, higher consumer prices and slower job growth. Well, there are others like the Limit Save Grow Act directly cuts spending on veterans, border security and more. But time does not permit me to go into that. But some things to consider. Up next, a conversation with Pastor Mark Strong from Life Change Church regarding his program heard right here on KPDQ. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Since 2005, one of the family members of KPDQ has been broadcasting here and I am just delighted to introduce Dr. Mark Strong. He, along with his wife, Marla, serve as the lead pastors of Life Change Church, and he is the host of Life Change, heard here on KPDQ, 9.45 p.m., He joins us here today to talk a bit about that ministry and his ministry in general. He and his wife Marla are leaders who are in love with one another, their family, the church, and most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been married for 32 years, and that might have changed in the last few months. They have four children, and shortly after they were married, they began to pastor Life Change Church. Uh, They have served as lead pastors there uh, ever since. He joins us here today to talk about the ministry, the life, and much, much more. Pastor Strong, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, my pleasure, Georgie.
2: Well, I have been a great admirer of yours, and especially your wife, Marla. And you can't really say Dr. Mark Strong without saying Mark and Marla. So I want to make sure that I include the role that she has played in ministry uh, in the area that you have been called to for quite some time. So I'm just delighted for the the example that the two of you have set in partnership in ministry. So congratulations in that area.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I, I guess that must have been the older bios. We've been married uh, thirty-five years, going on thirty-six.
2: I thought that might have been a little short. So yeah, <laughs> almost thirty-six. Well, congratulations! Yeah. Uh, my yeah, husband man. and I just celebrated our forty-first wedding anniversary oh, on Monday.
3: Congratulations. So, <laughs> congratulations! Congratulations! Thank you.
2: Thank you. Well, I wanted to talk to you. I think for many of our listeners, it was in June of nineteen ninety-six that many of our listeners first came. Uh, to recognize the church because it was at the time Emmanuel Christian Fellowship. It suffered an arson fire, and that focused the attention not only of the Body of Christ in the Portland metro area, but many around the uh, uh, the state as well who were unbelievers. Can you talk a little bit about that that unfortunate introduction and what has happened since?
3: Yes, yeah, so that that was definitely a catalytic moment in the life of our church, uh, where God. Use um, adversity to help us do what we've always had a passion and desire to do, and that was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in 1996, a young man threw uh, two Molotov cocktails through the window uh, in the church sanctuary and burned the church. You know, and rendered it rendered it useless. So we were, had we had to move out during that time, but. Uh, during that, the blessing was we had an opportunity to basically preach the gospel to the whole city of Portland yes. and ac- across the United States. And, you know, just from around the world, we were able just to, you know, just share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is always, even to this day, has been, you know, our heart and our passion to do.
2: You know, it was an extraordinary moment because at that time, under those circumstances, you could have taken a different um, direction altogether. You chose to honor Christ. You chose to be gracious in your remarks. And I remember being so impressed at the time, and I know many others were as well. But that really began a new phase in your ministry. You relocated. Obviously, the building that you had been in had been uh, rendered uh, useless, and you ended up at a new location. Tell us a little bit about the start of that uh, location and kind of a rebirth of the ministry.
3: Yes, yeah, so so it took us a little. It took us a little while to get to our, our our new location. So, our motto after the church was burned was, if you can find us, you can worship with us. So it was it, it was like several years. So we had services uh, at an elementary school. We held services in a tent. We held services at a chapel uh, at another of another congregation. We met in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. So we were kind of all over the map, and it and it did it got it got pretty discouraging after a while, just going from place to place to place to place, and and not really having anywhere to land. But um, the the building that we're in now, which is a you know a couple blocks from the church that was burned, I mean God just gave us a you know just a miraculous uh, miraculous provision and just His faithfulness to be able to get us in that place, and we've been there for over twenty years. And it enabled us to have, have you know, just a uh, a good ministry to our community and and, and to our city as well. And so just the faithfulness and the goodness of God to help us. Well, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have resources to purchase the building. And God provided in a miraculous way. Um, uh, he provided in a miraculous way to get the building renovated. And so it was just uh, one of those uh, incredible things. And we look back on it now and just say, mm-hmm. well, Lord, this was a, a real ease in our life, just to show your your faithfulness and your goodness, not just to us, but then also to the people that uh, the Lord has so graciously allowed us to serve.
2: Yeah. One of the themes that you mentioned just in telling that story is we met, and it was in different places and under different circumstances, but the body of Christ, under the name of either Emmanuel Christian Fellowship or Life Chime, you all met. <laughs> you, yes. the body of Christ, met. Your faithfulness yes. uh, was an example to many who looked on, who thought, "Oh, this might be the undoing of this pastor and his wife. This might be the undoing of this church." And yet, you met faithfully. And I think that's a word that really applies to your ministry. From that point, it really predates that because God prepared you for. Uh, for ministry. It it's faithfulness. That's what I have witnessed as I've observed you over the years ministering in uh, in this city uh and ministering to a congregation very well.
3: Oh thank you. Appreciate that. And that's that's what we just strive to do, you know, just first and foremost and like I say even today, you know my desire is to, you know, love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And then just to be faithful with what God has called us to do. And and he you knows so what I know, Georgina, that that that's not always easy. It's not always easy, and there's many times, many, many, many challenges, you know. But the grace of God has always been present to help us to, to help us be and to do what He's called us to do. And so that that's what we that's what we rely upon and we depend upon constantly.
2: God gave you and Marla a vision uh, at one point of what the church was to become. It was kind of a numeric. Vision, but it really represented much more than than numbers. You now have a second location. Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
3: Yeah. So what's happened is is most people know that there's been a a, a lot of um, uh, shifting in North Portland. So the community that was basically, uh, you know, the community that we um, minister to originally in North Portland has now been moved out. Term we use gentrification, mm-hmm. and so many have moved out into. Um, the Gresham area, uh, and so what they call the numbers. And so our, our heart was just burdened. It's like, there's so many people that are out here. We're, we're over here, and we're still ministering to people, you know, on our Williams Avenue site, and, and God is blessed and doing do an incredible things. But we said, what can we do for the people out there? And so we just began to pray. And after about maybe a four-year period, God just miraculously gave us a, a facility. It's an old, it's a, uh, old Walgreens store about fourteen thousand square feet. And at the time when we got ready to purchase it, we had no we had no money. And I this it it kind of funny, but it shows the <laughs> things of God. I remember we, we were talking to the person about buying the building, and the, the guy said to me, he "said Well, what is your vision?" And I said, "Well, we, we want to help families. We want to help the community. Uh, we want to bring something positive out here." And these guys are developers. They own shopping centers all up and down the West Coast and so forth. So I'm, you know, I I can't really use church lingo, so I would just try to use something that's more kind of commission to understand. And so I get to give my spill on vision. The guy says, well, how are you going to pay for this? Uh, He says, do you have uh, money in the bank? I said, no. He said, are you pre-qualified? You have pre-approval? I said, no. He says, you have uh, uh, people that are going to help write the check and pay for it? I said, no. He said, well, how are you (laughs) going to do it? I said, well, I said we, we, we've done this before, and we think that we can do it again. He says, "Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to call you back tomorrow." So he calls me back the next day, and they have their CFO and some other people in the line, the, the realtor, and so forth. And the guy says, he, "The guy says, well, you know, this is really, really, really unconventional for us, and uh, this is not necessarily what we do." He said, "But you seem like a sincere person, and so we're going to give you a chance to get this building." And so the Lord let us put a down payment of of uh, sincerity, you know, to be able to purchase <laughs> that building. And and the the wonderful thing about it was a day later there was a a a, uh, a large chain I won't say the name of it, but a large chain was going to make them a cash offer to buy the building right after they told us that they would give us the shot at buying it. And the Lord helped us, uh, provided for us, and we were able to uh, purchase the building. And we got we got a portion of remodel. We still have more to do, but. But we're in
2: there. See, that's a man of faith who will approach these business people (laughs) with his pockets empty, but (laughs) makes a down payment of sincerity. That is the favor of
3: God. (laughs) Yes, yes.
2: Acting in obedience and faithfulness. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, talking with Dr. Mark Strong. He's the lead pastor of Life Change Church and the host here on KPDQ of Life Change. We'll be back in just a moment. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I began a conversation with Dr. Mark Strong. He is the pastor of Life Change Church now with two locations and also the host of Life Change, a program heard here on KPDQ. p.m. weekday evenings right here on 93.9 FM. We were talking about uh, what faithfulness looks like, what obedience looks like, and a lot of uh, nerve based on confidence in God's provision and that his uh, his calling uh, is sure. So I'm just delighted to uh, to tell that story. Uh, and to encourage those of you who have yet to uh, hear the program that he hosts here weekday uh, evenings on, on KPDQ uh, to tune in. Now, you have been on this station, as I mentioned, it will be almost 18 years in October. So you've been a fixture here, a part of the family at KPDQ for a number of years. Talk about how that, um, that r- radio ministry is part of your church's uh, ministry into the city
3: yeah so t- part of the thing uh, you know georgina said you know we, we we love our city We know we have a call in in our community but our heart our heart is to even like when we had the fire is to share the gospel with our city and so years ago the lord had put a burden on hearts to uh, reach out to our city uh, through through the radio and so we started the we started the uh, the program 17 years ago or so. And uh, it's just been a hard to continue to do that, to see, you know, people's lives impacted. And it's just been wonderful to see some of the fruit that uh, God has brought forth, you know, from from that. And so we just appreciate, you know, KPDQ and for that opportunity to be able to, you know, to reach out to our city, you know, through, through uh, medium the radio.
2: You know, one of the things that you have encouraged me to do personally is to love our city. I have been frustrated by our city. I've been made angry by our city. I felt unsafe in our city. But you have continued to demonstrate a love for the city. Our love for it isn't based on public policy. It's not based on what's happening for the moment. But you've taken Christ's heart and extended that into the city. So I have appreciated that example. And your radio ministry, I think, has been a I help in that way as well. I know that radio ministry is challenging for a church. And as we've just described, you have extended uh, great faith that God is going to provide uh, for the church, the churches now that you are overseeing, but also for this ministry. And one of the reasons I wanted to invite you uh, to talk here today was to encourage our listeners who have either heard the program and have been blessed or who have yet to hear the program Uh, to tune in and to consider supporting the program. Now, I know you would never say that because I know you, (laughs) you you would never say that. But I'm saying this uh, on on behalf of my um, respect and regard for you, the church and this ministry. I would like to encourage our listeners to consider supporting life change uh, heard here on KPDQ because, you know, the way things are, Um, there's a possibility the program could go away. So I I really want to encourage our listeners to make that consideration. Um, Talk a little bit about the program for those who perhaps have yet to hear it.
3: And so, 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 uh, you know, our program, you know, what we do is we, it's definitely Christ centered. It's definitely a, a solid biblical message that we try to communicate. And then we try to put it in a way that, that relates to where, uh, People live. I know German. German theologians had a term they called term they call, uh, coined called Zitz und Leben, which actually means like in the in, in lifestyle in the place where people really live, the actual lifestyle setting or life place setting. And so we try to communicate the word of God to uh, to help people live for Christ, understand understand what God desires, and then empower them to live their life. In the context that they're in, in the way that God wants them to do. So it's you know we try to stay, you know, just uh, simple, plain, um, you know, just nothing complex or difficult or too lofty. Although sometimes lofty is good, but we want to we we want to communicate to people right where they live, right where they live.
2: And that's that's precisely what you do. I think for many of us, we need that simple, uncomplicated message, which is the gospel um, yeah. that will help us to remain faithful. Uh, and to love our city in difficult circumstances. And you've done that faithfully for almost 18 years. Uh, I want to let our listeners know that there's a possibility the program could end if we uh, don't support it. And so for that reason, I do personally want to ask our listeners to consider. If you haven't listened, uh, you'll be on tonight, 945 here on KPDQ. Listen in. Uh, you have not over the vast majority of those years asked for listener support. Um, and yes. this is uh, this is a new thing for you. I know it's uncomfortable, which is why I wanted to do <laughs> to do it on your behalf. Uh, but yes. I think it's a ministry worthy of listener support, and I want to do to, to it, extend that invitation and encourage our listeners to consider adding that to their portfolio of giving, if you will.
3: <laughs> yeah, I I, I I just I sincerely appreciate that. Cause, you know, we've done it for eighteen years, and we've never you know never really asked for any type of Listener sponsorship at all. We just always we just always done it as a as an outreach, and we were able to do that. But you know now, you know since COVID has taken place and things have happened, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of jostling and just kind of shifting within the church. Then you know things have come just a little bit more difficult. So I sure appreciate it from all my heart, you know, you just taking the time to be able to do this because it's definitely something that we feel called by God to do. It's definitely it's definitely a ministry that uh we are we are we are passionate about and you know just some listener support would just be very, very helpful to continue just to help us do what we've been doing, you know, uh for so many years.
2: And it's entirely appropriate that when we benefit by and enjoy a ministry, we're edified, we're challenged, our walk is enhanced. It's entirely appropriate that we would help to support uh, the ministry. So much of what happens on uh, Christian radio is the result of listeners saying, yes, I'm blessed and I want to make sure that this ministry continues. So we want to extend that invitation to our listeners as well. What's the best way for someone to go about that?
3: They can just go to uh, probably our website, lifechangechurch.org, lifechangechurch.org. And then just go to the, to the giving tab. And there's a, a pop down that just says the radio, and they can give there. Or if they want to mail a gift, they can do that uh, by sending a gift to Life Change Church, uh, PO Box 11956, Portland, Oregon. Life Change Church, PO Box 11956, Portland, Oregon.
2: And I'll put that on the. Uh... A KPDQ page and also Facebook. So listeners who okay. might be in their car at this time, I won't run off the road yeah. trying, to, <laughs> trying to write that down. Yeah. But I'll, I'll put those instructions online um, as well. Where do you see uh, your church and the church in general going in the days ahead? I know a lot of people are discouraged by what's going on in the culture, what's going on even within the church. Yes. What is your vision for the church looking ahead?
3: You know, I, I you know I think need is going to always be there. So I, I go back to Isaiah 61, you know, which is Isaiah's uh, you know speaking about Jesus's ministry. And then when Jesus began to minister in Luke 4, he says the same thing: how the Spirit of God was upon him to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are bruised, to proclaim and accept the accepted year of the Lord. And you know, the conditions that we that we're living in right now they're they're, they're very discouraging. And they're very disheartening. And, you know, for a fall of Christ, you almost think like, you know, you know, what is going on? It almost feels like, okay, God, we're losing this battle. If I can be honest, that's how sometimes you feel. We're losing this battle because on the right and on the left, we see things that are so drastically diametrically opposed to the values of the scripture, but yet they seem to get bigger and bigger and louder and louder and louder and louder. And so I think that, uh, one of the things that's realized is that people are still people, and even though these things are going on, I think the, the the need that people have in their hearts and the needs that they live with on a daily basis and the spiritual hunger that they have, I believe that some of these things are going to increase that hunger. And so I think there's I think there's an opportunity there's an opportunity for the church. You know, uh, you know, we may not be able to fix everything in culture. We won't. You know that that you know we, that doesn't mean we don't try to do what we can do, but we know that everything in our culture is not going to be fixed until Jesus, you know, comes yeah. and reigns. But there, 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 there are things that we can do to make a difference. But we can, we can uh, share the gospel. We can, you know, spread the word of God. We can love people and we can minister to to broken, you know, broken hearts. So like one of the things that we've been seeing even in our church. Is that like, even with during the pandemic time with the George Flo- Floyd and just all the different racial chaos that's been, you know, mm-hmm. this just been happening and the polarization we've been seeing, you know, blacks, whites, you know, people coming together and, you know, just having a, you know, ha- having a hunger for God and God breaking down those, those type of things. Because, you know, the, 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 the news media, uh, social media, uh, that voice does not tell the whole truth. And so I think that when we stick by what God has called us to do, we still have an opportunity to impact a lot of people because it's getting, it's getting, it's getting pretty, it's bad out there. And people need hope and people need healing and people still need Christ.
2: Well, and that's precisely what you uh, offer in your program, Life Change. Again, it's heard here on KPDQ FM, 945 PM. If you're in the middle of something, it's about 14 minutes long. So you can, Uh, Take that quick uh, message and digest it and uh, continue with your day. But you will be challenged, inspired, encouraged and instructed in the program. So tune in for those of you who have listened and just have taken advantage of the fact that it's available. Now's an opportunity to express a bit of gratitude and to help to support this ministry as it um, we are hoping will continue in the weeks and months and years ahead. Uh, Dr. Strong, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for taking the time to talk with us today. And we hope you'll continue to be a part of the KPDQ family for many, many years.
3: Yes, that's that's what our hearts desire is and we believe in the Lord to help us do.
2: Thank you so much. And mm-hmm. tell Marla I said hi.
3: I sure will. I sure <laughs> <Okay>. will. Bye bye. Bye
2: bye. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break and we'll be back to wrap things up.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Before I begin taking a look at some of the headline news, I want to remind those of you who are cordially invited to join us that the KPDQ Pastors Masters is back for 2023. July 17th, sponsored by Adventist Health. Now, KPDQ invites area pastors and ministry leaders to join us for a day of golf and fellowship at the KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Tournament presented by Adventist Health Portland. Monday, J- uh, July 17th at the beautiful Langdon Farms Golf Club in Aurora, just south of Wilsonville. The 18-hole golf scramble starts at 8 a.m. and is followed by a delicious buffet lunch. The cost to attend is just $25 and the first 50 Pastors to register will also receive a Pastors Masters ball cap. You're going to want one of those. Uh, Please register today at kpdq.com. I am so excited. It is one of my favorite events of the year. Well, again, taking a look at some of the headline news, Target has found itself in hot water again over its Gay Pride collection, this time because of its partnership with a controversial designer. Well, the major retailer partnered with UK-based brand Pralin um, uh, to sell merchandise for the pro-LGBTQ message to celebrate Pride Month. A search tar- on the Target's website finds some of the items. Uh, while the company was already under the microscope over its tuck-friendly swimsuits, Some social media users were angered to discover that Ab Prallon's designer is also an outspoken Satanist whose brand features occult imagery and messages like Satan respects pronouns on brand apparel. Oh, what a world, what a world, to quote the Wicked Witch of the West. Or was it the North? Anyway. Most likely the West, given where we are now. Well, after months of buildup and speculation, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida officially entered the 2024 White House race. Sources familiar confirmed that the popular conservative governor declared his uh, candidacy for president today and will do so publicly at 6 p.m. But he did file the paperwork earlier in the day. He's going to hold a, a conversation with Elon Musk. Again, that's 6 p.m. Eastern time. So that's already taking place. Along with his announcement, DeSantis is expected to and did file paperwork with the Federal Elections Commission, which officially launches his GOP presidential campaign. His first national TV interview following the announcement will be on Fox News with Trey Gowdy uh, tonight at um, 8 Eastern time on Fox News Tonight. The Internal Revenue Service Commissioner, Daniel Werfel, he denied intervening to retaliate against whistleblowers in connection with the Hunter Biden complaint. That's according to a letter he sent to the majority and minority on the House Ways and Means Committees. Fox News obtained the letter sent by Werfel on the 17th of this month, in which he responded to concerns that whistleblowers may have faced retaliation for voicing concerns about the probe into the business dealings of Hunter Biden, son of President Joe Biden. I want to state unequivocally, he wrote, that I have not intervened and will not intervene in any way that would impact the status of any whistleblower, Werfel said. However, the letter states that the particular whistleblower referenced by Representative Jason Smith in their initial letter experienced a change in work assignment at the direction of the Department of Justice. Attorneys for one IRS whistleblower told Congress earlier that the entire team that was managed by the individual had been removed from the Hunter Biden probe. The attorneys told Congress that the removal was based on the Department of Justice's order. Today, the Internal Revenue Service Criminal Supervisory Special Agent we represent was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the ongoing and sensitive investigation of the high profile controversial subject about which our client sought to make whistle blower disclosures to Congress, the letter states. He was informed the change was at the request of the Department of Justice, attorneys Mark Little and Tristan Leavitt wrote. A number of major coal operators in the Commonwealth of Kentucky made a surprising political move today, or actually yesterday, announcing their endorsements of incumbent Democratic Governor Andy Beshear for re-election over his Republican challenger, State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. The endorsements, which included the United Mine Workers of America and multiple leaders in Kentucky's coal industry, come amid what many have described as the Biden administration's war on coal and the Democratic Party's rush toward green energy. Brashear, however, appears to be bucking that trend, similar to one of his fellow Democrats, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, another coal-friendly state. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat from New York, invited her colleague from across the aisle in Congress, Senator Ted Cruz, the Republican from Texas, to educate Twitter users on the history of America's diametrically opposed political parties. And his answer is unlikely what she expected. Well, the impetus for the Twitter discussion stemmed from Cruz first commenting on the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, their travel advisory for Florida that said the state devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. Well, this. Uh, uh, is bizarre and utterly dishonest, Cruz stated in a tweet on Sunday. In the 1950s and 1960s, the NAACP did extraordinarily good, helping lead the civil rights movement. Today, Dr. King would be ashamed of how profoundly they've lost their way. While well, a user responded in accusation that Cruz would have been first in line to filibuster against the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act in the 1950s and 60s. Nonsense, he wrote. That shameful filibuster was led by Democrats, your party. My party, the Republicans, proudly voted for the Civil Rights Act in much higher percentages than the racist Democrats. Cruz reported in the tweet. AOC inserted herself into the dialogue by saying, "Why don't you go ahead and tell people what happened to the parties after that, Ted?" She thought she knew. Well, Cruz took her uh, took it uh, took her up on that offer and responded in a tweet thread saying, "Sure." First, the Democrat Party founded the KKK. Then the Democrat Party wrote Jim Crow laws. Then the Democrat Party filibustered the Civil Rights Act. Today, the Democrat Party filibusters school choice, trapping millions of black kids in failing schools. Today, the Democrat Party pushes abolishing the police, which results in many more black lives murdered. Today, every Democrat senator voted against my bill to stop D.C. from throwing 40 percent of black kids out of schools because of the Vax mandate. Cruz continued. The Republican Party was founded to oppose slavery. Our first Republican president was Abraham Lincoln, who won the Civil Rights, um, uh, the Civil War, rather. And ended slavery. It was Republicans who voted for the Civil Rights Act in a much higher percentage than racist Democrats, he added. Today, we produce the lowest African-American unemployment ever under the Trump economic boom. Today, we produce the lowest African-American poverty levels ever under the Trump economic boom. He continued. Today, in 2017, I passed the largest expansion of federal school choice ever, making 500 uh 529 plans cover K through 12 over the objection of every single Senate. Democrat, he went on to say. Also, just two years ago, the Democrat governor of Virginia had put the photo of a man dressed as a KKK Klansman on his personal yearbook page. And today, the sitting Democrat President Joe Biden gave in 2011 a flowery eulogy for an exalted Cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan. And to add to all of that, the Democrat Party aggressively supports open borders, which has led to the deaths and brutal assaults of thousands of Hispanics, and AOC somehow can't seem to find her white pantsuit to cry over their suffering, Cruz concluded. Well, Twitter CEO Elon Musk, he chimed in, saying the threat is the kind of interaction that makes this platform so unique and entertaining. So far, AOC, the representative, has not responded. A top Senate Republican is being cut out from a congressional investigation into IRS whistleblower claims that a Justice Department and IRS probe of Hunter Biden's alleged tax fraud is being mishandled. Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, who's a member of the Senate Finance Committee and co-chairman of the Whistleblower Protection Caucus, is being denied access to the investigation by committee chairman Senator Ron Wyden. Specifically, Grassley and his investigative team are being denied access to an interview scheduled to take place in the coming weeks with one of the whistleblowers who alleges that the whistleblowers entire team had been removed last week from the Hunter Biden probe as retaliation for coming forward with claims the probe was being mishandled. A spokesperson for Grassley said the IRS whistleblowers attorneys have specifically included Senator Grassley in their communications with Congress. So there's no legitimate reason to exclude Grassley's staff from participating in this investigation. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue to work our way through some of the day's headlines. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're working our way through some of the day's headlines as uh, we had an opportunity to hear from Pastor Mark Strong in the first hour of today's program hey, i want to let you know that kpdq is welcoming the gospel music caravan tour to salem's elsinore's theater on the 10th of july and the 11th as well this two-day event features three concerts with some of the biggest names in southern gospel music including the booth brothers legacy five greater vision the hoppers and more if you love southern gospel you won't want to miss this event get more information and buy your tickets at kpdq.com that's going to be a Big two-day extravaganza. Well, the House passed legislation on Tuesday to reject a Biden administration environmental regulation that targets heavy-duty vehicle tailpipe emissions. In a 221 to 203 vote, the House approved the resolution with 217 Republicans and four Democrats voting in favor. In April, Representative Troy Nels of Texas, a member of the Transportation Committee's Highways and Transit Subcommittee, introduced the resolution as a companion bill to one of Senator Debbie Fisher's uh, um, unveiled in the Senate two months earlier. Folks, I want to be crystal clear today, Nels remarked on the House floor ahead of the vote. Woke bureaucrats in Washington are on a climate justice crusade, using the heavy hand of government to go after the trucking industry that keeps America moving. And in the last three decades, we've made significant, significant strides in the right direction to decrease emissions and increase efficiency. This uh, detrimental rule, which could lead to a litany of further supply chain disruptions across the country, hit the smaller mom-and-pop trucking companies the hardest and pass along increased costs to American consumers, he said. This is exactly why it is imperative that the House passes this joint resolution to nullify this burdensome regulation. Well, the singer-songwriter released The Eyes of Portland, that's John Mellencamp, which highlights the city's drastic uptick in homelessness and echoes the concerns of many residents. As I saw through the eyes of Portland one day, there were so many homeless, they'd all gone astray. They slept on the corners during the day. All of these homeless, where do they come from? Well, this land of plenty where nothing gets done, the song goes on. Well, in Oregon, we only have four million plus people in the last six or seven years. We've committed four billion dollars to the crisis. And yet Portland's mayor freely admits that the problem is 50 percent worse, not better. Fifty percent worse. Um That's a sad commentary on his leadership and on the state's leadership. Barton added Uh, According to a recent census data, Portland has lost 0.4, or I should say 0.04 of its population after growing for 30 straight years. And though the general population has declined for three years in a row, Mayor Ted Wheeler's office reported a 50 percent increase in homelessness from 2019 to 2022. The mayor also revealed Portland's number of homeless encampments has topped 700 in a bid to ban camping on streets and encroachment by next year. The mayor has sanctioned the first city-run outdoor homeless camp. It's expected to house up to 150 people, a far cry from the uh, more than 3,000 people estimated to be homeless in Portland. One of the problems we have here is the government wants to administer to the homeless, and they've created a homeless industrial society. In my opinion, that doesn't really get to help uh, helping or to alleviating what the real issues are. Stu Peterson Reflected. Meanwhile, Mellencamp's lyrics were pinned in the Oregonian newspaper with the commentary writer pointing out that the music video contained shots of Los Angeles and not Portland. Joran Vandersloot, the prime suspect in the 2005 disappearance of Natalie Holloway, has fans worldwide who send him an average of four hundred dollars a month. That's according to his Peruvian lawyer. Vandersloot is the prime suspect in the Natalie Holloway disappearance during her senior class trip in Aruba in May of 2005 with Mountain Brook High School of Alabama. He's facing charges of wire fraud and extortion in the United States after allegedly trying to sell Beth Holloway, Natalie's mother, information on where her daughter's body was located. The Peruvian government ruled earlier in May that he would be temporarily extradited to face trial in the U.S. He's currently uh, in uh, prison in Peru, federal prosecutors say Vandersloot Sloot asked for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, 25,000 of which would be given up front for the information and the rest being paid out when the body of Natalie Holloway was positively identified. Developing life-saving medicine takes a lot of time, money, and testing. But one company's artificial intelligence-driven technology provides a way to slash all three while saving the lives of more humans and animals. At least, that's what they say. Very Sim, uh, Very Sim Life has developed digital twins of various human body types and different animals and uses machine intelligence to test how pharmaceuticals would impact real-life subjects before even going to clinical trials. And it does it at lightning speed. Founded in 2017 by Dr. Joe Varshney, a veterinarian with a Ph.D. in genetics and cancer biology, uh, Very Sim works with pharmaceutical companies, biotech firms and academic institutions to assess the success and safety of medicines using A.I. rather than animals during the testing phase. Well, the drug is then assigned to trans uh, translational index scores, uh, which Varshay Varshay, I should say, likens to a credit score. If a score comes in low, drug makers may either need to change the direction of their experimental design or go back to the drawing board. But by using AI simulations rather than experimental animal trials, starting over with a new compound that works can be generated quickly with a software platform's ability to test millions of hypotheses rather than the typical process of trial and error that normally takes years. Very Sims platform replaces the need for research and development costs related to animal testing, which could save U.S. companies some $20 billion a year collectively and spare countless animals from testing. And whether or not it will save human lives remains to be seen. Ford is going to keep AM radio in its 2024 fleet of vehicles, one manufacturer at least. Well, Ford CEO Jim Farley announced on Tuesday that his company is reversing course and will include AM radio on all 2024 Ford and Lincoln vehicles after speaking with policy leaders about the importance of AM broadcast radio as part of the emergency alert system. Uh, Jim Farley weighs in saying, after speaking with the policy leaders about the importance of AM radio as part of the emergency system, we've decided to include it in our vehicles. For any owners of Ford EVs without AM broadcast capability, we'll offer a software update. Customers can currently listen to AM radio content in a variety of ways in our vehicles, including via streaming. And we will continue to innovate to deliver even better in-vehicle entertainment and emergency notification options in future. So for future vehicles, beginning in 2024, Ford will keep AM radio. A poll shows only 33 percent of Americans approve of President Biden's economy. The Associated Press reports that as President Joe Biden embarks on his reelection campaign, just 33 percent of American adults say they approve of his handling of the economy, and only 24 percent say national economic conditions are in good shape. That's according to their new poll. Public approval of Biden's handling of the economy remains low in a time of high inflation, a difficult housing market, and concerns about a potential U.S. government debt default. American opinion is also gloomy about Biden's efforts on gun policy and immigration, with only 31 percent saying they approve of the president's performance on those hot-button issues, showing the impact of the president's policies on more than... Um, his uh, own approval, a shrinking number of Americans believe the country as a whole is moving in the right direction. An alarmingly low number of Americans, just 21 percent, think America is on the right track. Among Democrats, that number is still only 36 percent, while seven percent of Republicans say America is moving in the right direction. That is, even those who approve of Joe Biden's efforts have to admit his indifference to real world issues has left a post pandemic America in disarray. Biden's approval rating is lower than any president since Jimmy Carter at this point in their presidency. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. Uh, I want to let you know that tomorrow on the program, Jeff Tracy will be my, my guest. He is the barbecue king. He's the host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green. Heard on our sister station, k uh, He's also known as the cowboy cook. We're going to talk about barbecuing, grilling as we anticipate the holiday weekend. So hope you'll stick around for that tomorrow. On the Georgine Rice Show second hour. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a few moments.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, a Russian court extended until at least August 30th the pretrial detention of Evan Gerskovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter deemed by the U.S. to be wrongfully held after investigators requested more time before his trial. In a closed hearing before a judge, In, let's get this right, Lefortovo District Court in Moscow, investigators from the Federal Security Service, uh, known as the FSB, asked for Gershkovich to remain behind bars awaiting trial, according to the Russian state agency for legal and judicial reporting. Well, the FSB, without providing evidence, has said Gerskovich, acting on the instructions of the American side, collected information constituting a state secret about the activities of one of the enterprises of the Russian military industrial complex. The U.S. embassy officials were allowed to visit Gerskovich once in prison since his arrest in March, but Russian authorities have denied two more recent requests to see him. Representative Pramila Jayapal on Tuesday warned that leftist protesters will take to the streets if President Biden agrees to spending cuts as part of the negotiations with Republicans to ward off a looming debt default. The representative says there will be a huge backlash in the streets if the White House agrees to spending cuts. Well, the House of Representatives passed the limit Save Grow Act on April 26th by 217 to 215. The legislation increases the debt ceiling by one point five trillion dollars, repeals portions of the, Re- the inflation reduction act, requires Congress to approve regulations that have an economic uh, effect of one hundred million dollars or more and establishes new work requirements for some beneficiaries of welfare programs. The uh, standoff continues. A second IRS whistleblower investigating Hunter Biden has come forward with concerns. The uh, whistleblower in the criminal investigation of First Son, Hunter Biden, emerged on Monday in documents sent to Congress following the purge of the entire investigatory team looking into President Biden's son for tax fraud and related crimes. The new whistleblower is a special agent in the IRS's International Tax and Financial Crimes Group and worked on the Hunter Biden case since it was opened in 2018 until he was ousted without explanation last week. The agent joins his supervisor who plans to testify behind closed doors before the House Ways and Means Committee on Friday and publicly registering concern about how the Justice Department has handled the investigation. Both IRS whistleblowers expressed concerns internally for years about the case being swept under the rug, but got nowhere. Hunter, 53, allegedly failed to pay taxes on millions of dollars he received from foreign associates, who in some instances interacted with then-Vice President Joe Biden. So when uh, when is the Biden administration going to answer for the abrupt removal of the investigators, explain why there were so many concerns by those working on Hunter Biden's case that went unaddressed? The drip, drip, drip of allegations from the whistleblowers at IRS, as well as those at the FBI, are starting to pile up. And if um, they can't be headed off, the president is going to have a lot to answer for on the campaign trail as it heats up ahead of 2024. Well, the manic Manhattan college professor who threatened a post reporter with a machete has been fired. The school said on Tuesday, Sheline um, Rodriguez was sacked by Hunter College just hours after an adjunct professor was caught on camera holding the blade to the veteran reporter's neck while threatening to chop him up outside her Bronx apartment. The unhinged art professor wielded the machete and spewed the menacing remarks after the veteran Uh, Posty approached her regarding a viral video that showed her flipping out on pro-life students at Hunter College earlier this month. The professor at the New York Public College appeared to shout down pro-life students before snagging and throwing items in the display, accusing the students of spreading propaganda and triggering other students. This is not surprising considering the fact that... um, They invited a Satan into their stores, but some Target locations are moving their Pride merchandise to the back of the store to avoid a major pushback from customers. The New York Post reports that some Southern Target stores were forced by the corporation to move the LGBTQ Pride merchandise away from the front of their locations after customer outrage to avoid a Bud Light situation many Target locations across the country featured massive June Pride Month displays of an annual on an annual basis with items this year ranging from um tuck friendly bathing suits to transgender people uh, to mugs that say gender fluid most rank and file employees were left in the dark uh with many not knowing the pride section would be moved until they uh, noticed it themselves Pride merchandise remains prominently displayed at other locations and on the Target website. Well, Critics say the Biden administration's eagerness to ink a new nuclear deal with Tehran has distracted it from the regime's egregious human rights abuses. After the Iranian government's execution of three men last week over their participation in anti-regime demonstrations, human rights advocates and analysts see a broader crackdown underway made possible by the West's flagging interest in the nationwide protest movement. House votes, um, the House voted rather to protect heavy duty trucks from constricting EPA emissions and the suspicious U-Haul attack on the White House, according to. Uh, Joe Biden, white supremacy is the biggest domestic threat facing the nation. Thus, when a U-Haul truck appears to have been intentionally crashed near the White House, driven by a man who is reported to have espoused white supremacist views, it would seem to validate the president's dubious claim. Furthermore, the individual is said to have been seeking to kidnap or harm the president. That may all be true. However, there are some strange details surrounding the incident that have caused some to question whether or not. This could be some kind of false flag event. For example, the only item found in the truck was the Nazi flag, which for some unexplained reason, law enforcement decided to display almost like a photo op uh, next to the truck. Secondly, the supposed white supremacist driver is not white, but brown. He's a 19 year old, apparent South Asian descent from Chesterfield, Missouri. In other words, it is far from clear what exactly are the motives for the incident. Apparently, waking up early is white supremacy. That's according to the woke social justice types. Not only can negative behaviors in society be blamed on white supremacy, but so, too, should practices that lead to higher levels of productivity. Practices like waking up early to start one's workday. In a recent article in Medium, a social justice warrior asserts that waking up early is rooted in white supremacy. The author goes on to claim that waking up at the crack of dawn was a European or white phenomenon that they have subsequently forced onto other cultures. This claim is blatantly false upon its face, as many cultures across the globe have long recognized and practice that old adage that early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. But it appears that the actual motive behind this dubious claim is uh, to justify excusing laziness by labeling industriousness and timeliness as white supremacy. When will it end, says the black girl. Well, another round of layoffs at Disney. When Bob Iger took over as Disney CEO for the second time following the exit of the previous leader, after just two years of leading the company, it was clear that some serious actions were going to be taken to right the sinking ship. Those actions included some significant cuts to Disney's workforce. Back in March, Iger initiated the first round of worker cuts, which was quickly followed. By a second round, totaling 4,000 employees, Disney has now initiated a third round of cuts as an additional 2,500 workers will be handed their walking papers. Iger's aim with these cuts is to save Disney some $5.5 billion in costs. The once popular, once friendly, or should say family-friendly organization is reeling from its decision to align with the radical left in pushing a woke social agenda. Another day, another pause in the debt ceiling negotiations. The FBI is refusing to provide a subpoenaed document on the alleged Biden criminal scheme. And the president again claimed his son Bo died in Iraq while speaking to Marines at a Japan stop. It begs the question, does he actually believe that's what happened? He died, of course, in a hospital here at home. Uh, 160 plus retired military brass are urging Congress to root out the Department of Defense's diversity and equity programs. And South Carolina passed a heartbeat abortion bill that limits access to six weeks. A biological male who took second place in a California girls high school track meet would have uh, come in uh, dead last in the boys meet. Catholic clergy's sexual abuse of kids was far more common than the church acknowledged, according to the Illinois attorney general. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll come back to wrap things up. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you probably know by now, Father's Day is coming up and no surprise, KPDQ has a Father's Day contest. You could win $2,000 for dad. At KPDQ, we want to help you make your Father's Day celebration extra special this year. Enter now, and if you're our grand prize winner, you'll receive $2,000 in cash for your dad. And to increase your chances of winning, you can enter once each day, now through the 15th of June. Plus, you can choose to complete optional activities to earn more bonus entries. All of the details at kpdq.com. Father's Day is coming. Well, just because a machine can do something, a Christian needs to have wisdom to know if it should do something. That's a quote from Brian Page, acknowledging that while it might sound like strange advice to someone who hasn't worked with artificial intelligence, it's key to remember for those who follow Christ as AI technology continues to go mainstream. Now, Page, who is vice president and chief information officer at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, also teaches in the Department of Computer Science and says Christians will need to become more heart focused as AI develops and evolves. Chat GPT can now be used by Christians to fulfill the biblical mandate, but again, discernment will be key. As the world becomes more complex and automated, the we must become more attuned to matters of the heart, he says. He said while advances such as generative pre-trained transformer technology or chat GPT might lead to the creation of artificially created prayers, for example, that doesn't change the fact that a robot wrote it. It may also assist in evangelism. An AI may be able to write a theologically accurate, and even aesthetically beautiful prayer, he said. However, if it's not a prayer from the heart of the participant, it's just words. Well, Page likens such AI-induced prayer to using the aid of a global positioning system to find one's way home, like using a compass as a wayfinder for hiking or a GPS to get us to the destination when driving. This doesn't change the nature of the destination, but just assists in arriving without error. The conversation over AI has exploded after the technology has seemingly made a leap from the simple task management of Siri to piloting self-flying planes, painting works of art, and even managing moral dilemmas, all for AI-driven, driverless cars and Even more. Well, last month, a rabbi in New York state even shared an AI composed sermon with his congregation, only revealing afterward that it was authored by chat GPT. But Page thinks there is an even greater opportunity for artificial intelligence to transform not only our religious experience, but foundational theological premises like where can we worship or how do we learn about God or where can we experience God's presence, provided humans don't end up worshiping their own creation. Technology, he says, when used as an enabler for worship and prayer and theological thinking, changes the environment for how we think about God and has the capacity to expand our theological premise. But the concern would be if becoming a uh, if it becomes a distraction to, or worse, an idol to be uh, to our true theological foundation. In fact, said Page, that's one of the ways academic institutions like Calvin University, a private university in the Reformed tradition can help raise up Christian computer scientists who are both faithful and fluent in the area of artificial intelligence. Wow. Well, in addition to courses on the basics of machine learning, Paige says undergraduate computer science curriculum at Calvin challenges students to understand biblical norms for responsible technology so that they can have a, a leavening influence in the industry. And Pentecost Sunday falls this year on May 28th. But many of us, including Christians, might not know why the day is special or what is celebrated. Well, Unlike Easter or Christmas, rather, there aren't social markers by secular society ahead of Pentecost. So uh, for a quick and basic understanding of what Pentecost Sunday is, here are some things believers should know and share about this holy day. Number one, Pentecost Sunday marks the day when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. This is the fulfillment of the promise made by Jesus himself. I will ascend to the Father, but I will not leave you without a comforter. Also, Pentecost Sunday occurs 50 days after Easter. Do the counting, do the math, mark your calendars. Pentecost always falls 50 days after Easter. Well, the Bible records the Pentecost in Acts 2, second chapter, verses 1 through 13. Pentecost comes 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. And it also is known as the birthday of the church. Pentecost fulfills Jesus' promise, as I mentioned, to send a counselor and the spirit of truth in John 16, verses 5 through 15. It also launches the large-scale spreading of the gospel after Jesus' ascension. The boldness and the clarity with which the disciples shared the gospel after they had cowered with the doors closed before they were made aware of Jesus' resurrection is rather breathtaking. Acts, the second chapter, verses, verse 41, records that after Peter spoke to the crowd, after receiving the Holy Spirit, some 3,000 people were baptized. Now, interestingly, Jews also celebrate Pentecost, but not uh, for the same reason as Christians. The celebration of uh, by Jews of Pentecost is to observe uh, God giving the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai 50 days after the Exodus. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to consider. Uh, The Pentecost in Jewish tradition took place 50 days after Passover. And in Western churches, you may note, Pentecost is usually represented with the color red, which symbolizes the fire of the Holy Spirit. So there you have uh, the Pentecost. Well, on this day in history, 1844, Samuel F.B. Morse transmits the message, What hath God, uh, God wrought from Washington to Baltimore as he formally opens America's first telegraph line? 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge opens in New York City in a ceremony attended by President Chester Arthur and Governor Grover Cleveland. 1935, the first night game of Major League Baseball history is played after President Franklin Roosevelt activates a switch that turns lights on at uh, Crosley Field in Cincinnati. 1937, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds the constitutionality of the Social Security Act of 1935. And on this day in history, 1994, four Islamic fundamentalists convicted of bombing New York's uh, World Trade Center in 1993 are each sentenced to 240 years in prison. 2001, the state of Maryland dismisses its wiretapping case against Linda Tripp after a judge disallows most of Monica Lewinsky's testimony. 2018, after a Justice Department briefing, Representative Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, says there's no evidence to support claims that there was a government spy in President Trump's campaign. Also on this day in 2018, Trump grants a rare posthumous pardon for to boxing first black heavyweight champion Jack Johnson more than 100 years after what many see as a racially charged conviction for violating the MAN Act by traveling with his white girlfriend. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, Missouri Governor Mike Parson signs a bill that bans abortions on or beyond the eighth week of pregnancy without exceptions, uh, making it among the most restrictive abortion policies in the nation. Coming up on tomorrow's program, Jeff Tracy, the uh, Grilling King, host of Barbecue Nation, Grilling on the Green, and the Cowboy Cook. That's coming up on tomorrow's program. Thank uh, James Blend for producing, Dave
1: King for engineering, and thank you for joining us on the Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook.